Why does God give infinite punishment for finite crimes? Even from a biblical point of view, not every crime is prescribed the same punishment. So why then can a person never serve the entirety of their punishment in hell? So yeah, why? Why? what's up with the, the issue of hell and the justness or the consistency of the topic of hell? So what I have here are eight facts about hell or eight things I'm going to say about hell. The first one is going to be this. Not everyone gets the same punishment. Let me actually take you guys to a passage in scripture that helps us see this. Matthew eleven twenty one. it says, woe to you, Jesus speaking here. He's traveled around. He's in person. This is the greatest revelation that God has ever given mankind. It's in the person of Christ. So Jesus says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then he says, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now, here's why this is super super uh, significant to me. It's a future thing, right? It's not talking about how tolerable... Tyre and Sidon was the judgment that they experienced before, but it's rather a future judgment. And there's a difference between the way they will experience those judgments. So in the future, Tyre and Sidon will experience future judgment, and it's going to be different in the punishment and experiences they have. Then Jesus adds the Sodom and Gomorrah aspect here in the next verses. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be, future tense, more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. This to me implies, right, you, you could, maybe you could interpret it a different way, but I think the implication here is that um, Sodom has a future day of judgment and that when you compare Right? These cities to Sodom, Sodom will have it easier, which is to say your observation about how every crime does not get the same punishment in the law of Moses. That's actually very true about the, the issue of final judgment. Everybody does not have the same final judgment experience in the future. So it's tailored to the person depending on the sins they committed. I'll give you more scripture on this. Luke chapter 12, verse 47. Jesus tells a parable uh, talking about a future coming judgment. He says, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, this one who knew, he will be beaten with many stripes. Are they literal stripes? I, I don't think that's the point at all, actually. I think the point is his punishment will be more extreme. Then you have uh, he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes. Does he get off the hook? No, he's beaten, but with few. So that not only is your are your sins specifically punished, but your knowledge is also dealt with. So it's like, well, they did that, but they didn't really fully understand how bad it was. Well, they will be punished according to their understanding. What about the person who did it and knew exactly how bad it was? They will be punished according to their understanding as well. Second issue, do people stop sinning in hell? Now, sometimes we assume that that's the case. Like we've done all these sins in life. I die if I've rejected Christ, then I'm going to stand and be punished for all my sins. And then I'm in hell and I'm there and I I've, I don't sin anymore. So a hundred years later, a million years later, a week later, I have not sinned in that time. And so we think that what I'm experiencing now is just corresponding to what I've done in, the, in life. And then therefore there should be a ticking clock that ticks down. I should be like released. I'm, I'm paying for my crimes here. Um, that doesn't seem to be the case though. Um, so if you're still conscious, if you're still conscious, then you can still sin because God cares about your heart. He cares about your thoughts. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, where he says, if you um, are angry without just cause at your brother, well, you've, it's like you've committed murder in your heart. 
Okay, so you could do that still. Um, lust, pride is one of the worst sins in the scripture. And that is absolutely something that you can still do even when you don't have access to like social media, which does amplify the problem. All I'm saying here is we should not evaluate the fate of the person in hell as though they became holy the moment they entered hell. They didn't. In fact, they are no longer experiencing the work of the spirit around them to try to draw them. It, it, there's, a, there's a really good chance people get worse, not better. So that's something I just want to say. People don't just stop sinning and we shouldn't evaluate the length of hell as though there's no more sin after death. Here's number three. Why do we think hell is a static experience? I'm not saying hell is not a static experience. I'm asking why we think it is. You see, I want to move you to the place of doubt on this particular topic. At least that's where I am. If I'm wrong, may I come to the light and understand the truth on this issue and be able to share it with others. But it may be that the initial moment of judgment, here's a possibility, is worse than later moments. This is actually, ha this happens a lot in scripture. So um, when the people of Israel are attacked by the Babylonians and then deported out of uh, Judah, are deported out of the land, they're brought out of the land, and then they're deposited there in, in Babylon. The initial judgment of getting drug out of the land and the, and the deaths and the pain and the suffering is worse than the, their condition a year later while they're at Babylon. Is that still punishment? Yeah, it's still punishment, but it's not statically the same at all times. So they're still out of the land and they're still suffering to, to an extent, but it's not the same extent as they were on the day what, that Lamentations writes about, you know, when Jeremiah writes Lamentations and he's like just grieving and sorrowing. That was, that was the worst part. That was a much worse season. So I think the same can possibly be true of hell that forever doesn't mean every moment is identical. If the punishment is measured, and even if sin is ongoing, and maybe punishment continues to be ongoing, it doesn't mean that the sin, the punishment is the same in every moment for eternity. I don't know if, how it's different. All I'm saying is minimally this. We should not act like we know hell is a static experience, unchanging. We shouldn't act that way. There may be aspects of it that are unchanging. There may be aspects of it that change. We just don't know. So we shouldn't make a judgment about it based upon an assumption there. All right, that's number three. The fourth issue is this. Sin is way, way worse than we think. This is actually a theme in scripture, that sin is far worse than you think or I think. Right? When Adam and Eve ate, their response and the things that they do demonstrate that they're aware there's something wrong, but they don't seem to realize how bad it is. When Cain kills Abel, he doesn't seem to acknowledge how bad it is. You can feel this when you do a sin for the first time and you feel horrible about it. You do it for the 500th time, it barely registers. How much that I do, whether it's gossip or selfishness or just a harsh word, the cruelty to people, responding wrongly uh, to somebody, that it's just, I'm calloused and I don't see how, I know it's wrong, I get kind of, okay, you know, it's kind of bad, but, but I don't realize how bad it is. Let me give you a scripture that kind of helps show some of this. Jeremiah 6, 15, this verse talks about this issue and it says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? The people of Israel, no, they're not ashamed at all, not even remotely, nor did they know how to blush. God is not just saying, hey, they sinned. He's highlighting a problem, which is that they don't even recognize how bad the sin is. And so it says, therefore they shall fall among those who fall and the, at the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Why, what's one of the reasons they're being punished? This is, catch this, this is like meta information about the Bible, at least, at least if I understand the word meta right. One of the functions of punishment is to strip away the calluses and show us how bad sin is. 
think about this for a moment with me. If you probably, many of you probably never thought about this this way. One of the functions and purposes of punishment is to strip away the calluses and show us how bad sin is. That is, I think, how punishment functions. It's how it functions here in Jeremiah. He's like, you can't blush. So he's going to effectively teach them how bad their sin is with great and serious punishments. And it's actually, this is the, the deportation and all this other stuff that I read about or talked about earlier about lamentations. Punishment wakes us up. So I think if you look at hell and you go, man, this seems too extreme. Oh, this seems so extreme. And hopefully you don't have a, a wrong view of it. Hopefully you realize not everyone gets the same punishment. They don't stop sinning. And there's no reason to think that it's just a static experience forever. But we should absolutely think that sin is worse than we realize. That's the function of the law, in fact. Huge theme in scripture. The law is there to show you how bad sin is. And how does the law show you how bad sin is? Read the New Testament, right? Because it talks about this in great detail. By telling you that whoever sins will die. And then listing all the sins that can lead to death. By showing you the punishment is extreme. Therefore, you must realize the sin is really bad. This is my view towards hell. I hope it can be your view. And if it's not yet, I hope you move in this direction. God is holy, just, and good. If he punishes people this strongly, then people must be sinning really bad. That's the logical perspective, I think. It's illogical to think, well, God must be wrong. Well, let's go to number five. Part of hell can be viewed as consequence, not merely punishment. It's connected to punishment. I'm not separating it from that. But I think that we should label it as consequence as well. So consider a divorce. A man cheats on his wife serially, or perhaps he's abusive or both, and she uh, rightly divorces him. Or vice versa. A woman cheats on her husband serially, is unrepentant, she's abusive uh, in extreme ways, and then he divorces her. Now imagine this. She's like, hey... It's been 20 years since you divorced me. I know I did all those bad things, but haven't I suffered enough? Shouldn't you take me back? There's an appropriateness to say, in this case, no, like it's not just about how much you've suffered. It's about the permanence of that moment. You did something and the consequences are the permanent severing of a relationship. That's it. This is not to be my full answer in any way, shape or form, but I think there's a piece of it here. Since you've rejected Jesus and he's the only way for you to actually be transformed, you ultimately have chosen to be outside the community of God. And that's a permanent thing. It's a consequence, not just a punishment. Uh, the next thing, number six, is, and this i got to be honest with you guys here and say that, that hopefully I'll clear these things up in the future. I'll be doing a project on this one day. Um, but there are things I do not know about hell. Surprise. <laughs> I'm open to the idea, although I'm not persuaded of it, and I'm not in that camp at all right now, okay? But I'm open to the possibility of annihilationism or conditional immortality. This is the view that somebody, when they die, there's a temporary season of punishment that it does involve physical, usually annihilations would say physical suffering, but then you die, 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 right? Like you cease existing and you're, you're gone. Um, so annihilation is what happens to you. They say conditional immortality because that represents how they get to their view is it's the nature. You don't, nobody's immortal. Naturally, you have to be made immortal and God's not going to do that to you if you're not if you're not safe. Now, I, I used to feel like this was just straight up like heresy. This was many, many years ago, right? Because I thought conditional immortality was just, oh, that's like Jehovah's Witness stuff, right? Annihilationism. It's not really an exclusively Jehovah's Witness. It is in their teachings, but it's not representative of like, if you're Jehovah's Witness, you're all these weird beliefs you have about Jesus and doctrines all, all force this view. Not necessarily. Um, there's a much wider group of people who hold this view, non-Christians, as well as real Christians. And again, this is my, I'm saying this for now, because in the future, I'm going to do an actual study on the topic of hell, and I'm going to deal with all this annihilationist stuff as well. But what I will say is this, what a lot of people have said is, at least the the um, conditional immortality perspective, when it's shared by someone who's 
doing a good job trying to communicate why they believe that. It's more impressive than I thought. Um, the Bible does have on, I see both. It has destruction language that sounds like you're just gone. You're just destroyed. But it also has language that says like everlasting punishment that seems more easily to, easy to explain on the idea that you continue to exist is why eternal conscious torment comes into play as, as the, the, the view that I think is more, is far more typical amongst Christians and th throughout history. Um, but it's not heresy. It's not like they're denying Christ or something like that. Like this is a, a view within Christianity where we can agree to disagree. And some people have that view and I have not vetted it fully. So I, um, I throw it out there as information. I don't know the answers to it just yet. Okay. Number seven, we only got two more. The people in hell, at least in some sense of the term, they do not want God. Um, they might want out of hell, but they don't want heaven in its fullness. They, in a sense, they'd be like, yeah, get, take me to heaven. I want to go. But if they don't really want heaven in its fullness, because its fullness is Christ and the holiness of God and the transformation that comes by the spirit. And these are things where like in John, it talks about people who love the darkness. So they don't go to the light that there's a, does, there's a, our wants, in some sense, biblically speaking, our wants get manifested in the decisions we make before we hit eternity. And so there's there's a desire. I don't want to be in hell, right? But I also don't exactly want all that God has either. That's something important to recognize. Uh, number eight, trust God's judgment. If you are, you're not resolved on this at all. That's okay. I respect that. But I'm encouraging you to simply trust God's judgment. This is a position you can take where you say, um, I hear all these things, Mike. I'm, I, but I still feel uncertain. I feel a little emotionally bothered and disturbed by the idea of hell, even with all this other stuff you've said. But it doesn't mean I'm rejecting Christ. It's just, it's just, I just feel uncomfortable with it. What I can say is this: right now, you can, you can't appreciate hell. You certainly don't appreciate it. You don't think it's laudable, but you can trust God's judgment. There is a time coming when you will appreciate it in the future. That is, you will have a new perspective from heaven, from eternity, where you see how bad sin is, how holy God is, how appropriate justice and judgment is, and you understand how these things play out, and you'll actually appreciate it. An example of this is in Revelation, where we get kind of a preview of our attitude towards God's future judgment, where God judges, I'll, I'll back up a little bit, and I'm not going to get into all the symbolism here, but after this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, hallelujah, that's a, that's a, that's a rejoicing term here, that's a praising term. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Why? Why are they praising God? What's what's brought up this spontaneous worship in heaven? It's because his judgments are true and just. They're appreciating his judgments. What did he do? He's judged the great prostitute, not not one person, but 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 something bigger than that, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. These people in heaven now, this great multitude, which is going to be us too, they appreciate God's judgment. They don't just trust it. What I'm asking you to do now is just trust it. In the future, you will appreciate it, even if your heart doesn't quite understand it yet. That's okay. That's an okay place to be in. You will understand it better later. And that's a wonderful position of faith to have between you and God. Uh, there's more that can be said about this, but I just want to say, if non-believer, if you're listening, I implore you, don't reject God's forgiveness because of your confusion or questions about God's justice. It's like refusing a pardon. Like if you're a criminal, you're sentenced to prison, you refuse a pardon that's going to let you out of prison because you wrongly believe that the prison itself is unjust, even though you've never been there and you don't really know what it's like and you don't really understand how bad the crimes are that the people that go there have done. And this particular prison is run by a holy and righteous being with perfect knowledge of all things. 
it would be unwise to reject God's gracious offer uh, because of that.